Welcome to another episode of the CC Podcast Conversations, where inspiring Christians share their faith-filled stories. Please take a moment to subscribe to this podcast, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. This helps push our content to a broader audience. Are you new to listening? Check out our other podcasts. First, the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions, where we're walking through the Bible, focusing on short clips of Scripture. Second is the CC Broadcast, where our weekly radio programming is archived. These podcasts are available wherever you're listening or at christiancrusaders.org. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. Here's our host, Matt Reister, the Executive Director of Christian Crusaders. Hey everybody, Matt Reister with the CC Podcast. And we are in Orlando for the 2023 National Religious Broadcasters Convention. It's been great. Uh, We're busy. We've got a booth right here on the main drag. And we've already got a few podcasts in the barn. Yeah. Andrew, you're in the process of putting them together pretty soon. The one we're going to listen to right now is with a guy named Stephen Jackson. Right. And Stephen is got some things to say about investing our resources in a way that builds the kingdom. Uh, he also kind of told the story about what his life was before a couple crises came into it, cancer and a 50-foot fall and some injuries, which kind of woke him up and uh, mm-hmm. got him living for a different purpose or living out his faith in a more full way. Yeah, yep. I think it's going to be... a. Uh um, a little bit different perspective than, than a lot of our interviews, but something that uh, I think will be of interest to a lot of people as well. Def- definitely some challenging things in the area of investments and mm-hmm. how to organize our money, how to think about what we're building wealth for. Right. It's, uh, and, and, you know, immediately when you start talking about faith and investment, a lot of people immediately go to like Dave Ramsey and, and you know, all of, of those programs, which... You know, there's definite value in, in a lot of those. Um, but this, I think, comes at it from, comes at your finances and the kingdom from a different angle. Um, and I think, I think that'll be, like I said, really interesting for a lot of people to listen to. Yeah. Appreciate Stephen getting a hold of us and stopping by. You're going to enjoy this interview, and I hope you check out a bunch of the other ones from NRB 2023. Thanks for tuning in. Hey everybody, Matt Reeser here at the 2023 NRB convention. I'm with Steven Jackson, and he's going to have a cool story to share along with some tips about how we ought to use our wealth and our investments for the kingdom. But before we get to that, I want to thank Reasons for Hope. Reasons for Hope is a ministry that does a bunch of really awesome stuff, including send a guy named Dave Glander, a crazy guy named Dave Glander with a crazy beard to the Cedar Falls Bible Conference every year to lead our student and uh, high school, junior high ministry in helping them understand the truth and defend the truth. And uh, so he's going to be here with us at NRB, Promoting Reasons for Hope, and they're also the generous sponsors of all of our podcasts during this convention. So thanks to Reasons for Hope, R4, that's R-F-O-R-H, Dot com if you want to check out more. All right. Steven, good to have you here. It's great to be here, man. So uh, this is our third year at NRB, my third year at NRB. It's our second year with a booth. And last year was our first year with a booth. We were in the exhibit hall, and there's hours at the exhibit hall. Mm-hmm. And so we decided to come out here in the main hallway, which has been a great spot. 
because there's no hours. I mean, I could be doing this stuff right. at two in the morning. Yeah. And just might be. I don't know. We'll see. Um, but one of the things I learned last year and that I've learned even more just today, we're in not even day one. Tomorrow's officially day one, mm -hmm. maybe day two, uh, however they count. But I got to get good at filtering who we're going to do interviews with because everyone and their dog wants to get on a podcast because they wrote a book or they got a ministry and they want to promote it. Well, my dog would be really good on an interview. <laughs> She's pretty talented. All right. Her name's Leah. All right. She's great. We got her from the pound last year. So a mutt? Yeah, I asked for Rachel, but they gave me Leah instead. <laughs> that sounds familiar. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, you were just walking by. We struck up a conversation, and as we talked, um, to the best of my ability to filter things, I thought, you know, there's some stuff here that is going to resonate with sure. our audience. Sure. And so thank you for taking your time to be here. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, where I want to start is we were having a conversation and there was something, and I don't know if I have the exact time frame right or not, mm -hmm. but you were talking about uh, the way you were before nine years ago mm -hmm. and, and what you're doing now. And so I want to start with your story at that point, and then I don't know where my questions are going to go from there, but we'll eventually get to some of this investment stuff you're talking sure. about. Sure. Yeah. All right. Nine years ago. Where do we start with that? I, I think um, a good way of describing that season in my life is this point of full surrender to Jesus in every way. You know, we pray, you know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But do we really, do yeah. we really mean it? Do yeah. we understand what that means to, to pray, not my will, but your will to be done? Yeah. Not my kingdom, but your kingdom. So uh, a little bit of where I was at, some of the backstory, early 20s really just living for myself where are you from and where'd you go to school or what did you do north georgia okay. about an hour northeast of atlanta yep uh went to school there in georgia my family has a, a background in agriculture mm. so thank georgia peaches yeah well, i want to talk about peaches in a little bit because you said you grow peaches Yes, sir. My grandfather started a peach orchard. I want to just I want to hear yeah. about that. But keep going with your nine years ago deal. Yeah, I, it's amazing. You know, a, a mentor of mine was Steve Farrar for years out of Texas, who was big during the Promise Keepers movement. He wrote some great books on men's leadership, and he described it this way. He said, "God will often take men and He will uh, break them." and bring them to a point of full surrender and mm. then he'll rebuild them and use them for his glory mm -hmm. the way he delights and so i experienced that myself the breaking of god leading me to surrender to him in every way uh almost nine years ago and boy it it was not easy mm. not at all tell us about it i mean can you get into the details of yeah, it yeah yeah i'd be glad to so um, you know, here I was, early 20s, just going about my plan, my agenda, wanting to uh, make money, have fun, and really motivated for just my own selfish ambition. Yeah. Like the ways of, of the Lord living for His glory. I wasn't even thinking about it. Were you a Christian? I was. So I think like so many followers of Jesus, I, I was I was definitely a believer. Like like I, I had saving faith. I professed faith in Jesus. I, I knew him to be my Lord and Savior. But I had not come to that point to where I was ready to surrender everything mm -hmm. for him. Uh, and so 
here I am living with my own agenda, with my own plans, and God just interrupted my plans in every way possible. So uh, in, let's see, 2012, I was diagnosed with aggressive cancer that was spreading in my abdomen, in my chest, in my lymph nodes. Wow. And uh, when we found it, the doctors told us that another six months it would have been in my lungs and in my other organs. And so we quickly had surgery to remove as much of the cancer as we could, and then I went through about six months of chemo. Wow. At age? 24 years old. Wow. Yeah. You know, some guys What was can, the original kind of cancer? Lymphoma or? Yeah. Yeah. So some, some, some guys can, uh, you know how they can really pull off like that bald look? Yeah. I can't do it. I just look <laughs> like a fat bald guy. I can't pull it off. Not, like, not at I all. I bet you're selling yourself short. No. Nope, can't do it's it. It's looking good now. It all came back. Well, that's because I hide it, you know, with my beard. That's it. <laughs> but God did something through, through cancer. He, he just rekindled my faith. And I don't even know if it was through my prayers. Maybe it was through the prayers of my family, my church family around me. Are you married? I am. Were yes, you married sir. then? Yes, sir. Okay. Yeah. Misty, my wife, we've been married for 15 years. Cool. Kids? We've, we do have three kids, okay. nine, seven, and five, boy, boy, girl. Yep. And we found, uh, we actually found love on the farm. You know, All it, right. Oh, uh, it could be one of those Hallmark movies, you know. Yeah, but, or a country song. Yeah, it could, it could do that too. <laughs> uh, yeah, so. So was, the, was that the essence of the wake up call, your cancer, or was it other stuff too? Cancer was, was definitely a part of it. I think cancer helped me to realize that it's not about my plan, my agenda, and it rekindled my faith to pray Mm -hmm. and to ask God to work in ways only he can. You know, you can't really pull yourself up by the bootstraps and beat cancer. No. No. uh, I I think God delights to often give us things that we can't solve on our own so that we can learn to become more dependent on him. Yeah. And so cancer was one of my first experiences in that, that classroom of suffering mm. to learn dependence on God. There's, there's some lessons that he can only teach his followers in certain classrooms. Yeah. There's several lessons that can suffering. only be learned in the classroom of, of, of suffering. So cancer was the first. I thought it was over, uh, but there was a little bit more that I needed to learn in that classroom. So, so uh, I mean, you got all healed of cancer. Yes. Yeah. And I've been in remission ever since. Uh, like, was what like, are they saying? I'm, I'm actually cancer free at this point in remission. Do uh, they expect it to come back or they don't know or you're praying that it won't? I'm definitely praying that, yeah. it, that it doesn't come <laughs> yeah. back. Um, and, you know, if, if it does, I'm sure the Lord will see me through that. But we've been in remission now for over 10 years wow and yeah praise god for that and just coming out of that season i was i was ready to praise god i was like god you you cured me of cancer you delivered me from this when many other people you know they that's not that's not the end of their story yeah you know i've I've seen people die from cancer yep well fast forward just a, a little bit from there it was about a year later that i was in a on the job injury where I was um, about about a hundred foot up in the air in a metal platform and um, the system that was holding me up failed and I, f- I fell 50 foot so it was a 50 foot fall in a, in a metal metal platform 
And uh, it was almost like an elevator drop, going straight down 50 foot. I fractured my skull. I had a bleed on my brain. I was unconscious. Wow. Um, I fractured every single vertebrae in my back. You're grabbing your back right now, kind of. Is it, is it uncomfortable to sit Yeah, here? just trying to support myself a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, I fractured every vertebrae in my back. L1 and 2 in my lower back were completely shattered. There was nothing left. Yeah. I was unconscious. I wasn't breathing. Yeah. One of the first responders, he rushed up and, and opened my airway, kept me alive. Wow. And... Um, I was put in a, a helicopter and flown to Atlanta, hospital in Atlanta. And my, I don't remember this, but my wife, Misty, she, uh, she told me that I woke up for just a minute before the surgery. Hmm. And I looked at her and I said, honey, God's going to use this. Wow. And then I went back unconscious. <laughs> I'm like, my poor wife, I've put her through so much, right? <laughs> Cancer, the fall. Um, That's kind of cool, though, that she got a little something before you went into surgery. Well, or maybe it freaked her out. I don't know. Maybe, <laughs> maybe she found comfort through it. But we, um, I went into surgery, and I, I have a lumbar and thoracic fusion in my back. So I've got two nine-inch metal rods going down each side of my spine, nine two-and-a-half-inch screws going into each of my vertebrae. So it's like a whole toolbox yep. in my back. And I remember waking up from the surgery in the hospital room, and Matt, I started to ask the question, why? But it wasn't a, oh God, why did you do this to me? Why did you allow this to happen? I was genuinely asking the question, God, why am I alive? Why, why am I still breathing? What do you want me to do with this? Why, why, why am I still here? I had aggressive cancer. Yeah. I had a 50 foot fall, yeah. fractured skull, bleed on my brain, fractured every vertebra in my back. Why am I still breathing? And I'm not paralyzed. Like, why, God? Why? Yeah. Wow. And the Lord was just so gracious to us during that season. He, he brought us to Ephesians chapter 2, where he reminded us that we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Free gift, not of works, so that no one can boast. Amen. And then Ephesians 2.10, for you are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. Yeah. And it was like the Lord himself was answering our question, me and my wife, right then and there. Yeah. It's like, Stephen, you are my workmanship. You're not paralyzed. Mm -hmm. So walk in the good works that yeah. I have prepared for you. And Matt, let me just tell you, I, I didn't have any idea what it meant. I didn't, I didn't know what it would entail, but I just fully surrendered in that moment. Mm -hmm. Like, Jesus, I'm yours. Have your way. Like in your hospital bed? Yeah. Recovering? Yeah, just, just, I knew it. Like, in that moment, I knew it. Like, I, the only reason I am still alive, still breathing, is to passionately, zealously walk in the good works that he has prepared for me. That's awesome. I'm his man. I just, you're the second interview of NRB. My first one was with Cameron and BJ Arnett. He's a Christian actor. And um, I thought I was getting an interview with a Christian actor with some cool stories. And this dude is like deep and rock solid. Mm -hmm. And one of the topics we got onto, which obviously I would invite any of our listeners to listen to that if you haven't heard it yet. But uh, one of the topics we got onto was lordship. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we live in a country and we live in a version of Christianity that I think is replete with Jesus as Savior. Oh, yeah. And... And Jesus as Lord in real popular, yeah. but but when you look at Scripture, uh, I'm thinking of Luke 14, Luke 
25 through 30, I think it's Luke 14, 25 through 33, the cost of discipleship. Mm-hmm. Somebody can check me on that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. He's, he's laying out criteria for discipleship that yeah. are like lordship, obedience, That's full right. surrender. Yeah. And I think, and one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you and, and hear your whole story and everything you're doing now is because I think that a ton of people, including people within the sound of our voices right mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. are jesus as savior people and they've never fully surrendered and uh and the lord in your case was gracious to bring that about through some very very difficult circumstances yeah amen. and sometimes the lord brings that about mm-hmm. in people's lives without very very difficult circumstances but oftentimes it has to do with undesirable circumstances mm-hmm. that, that make us realize i'm i can't do this i wasn't designed to do this on my own this is not about me etc etc talk a little bit more about what were the things you were living for before that because you said you're a christian Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's not like you're some pagan out there doing all this pagan stuff right um and and the reason i want you to talk about this i might ask some follow-up questions as you talk about it or interrupt you is because i want our listeners or some of them or maybe two or three of them to connect with you on this because i think they're in the same spot Mm-hmm. that you were in. Mm. So describe it. Well, I'll be glad to. I, I do want to just echo something you said right there, Matt. Yeah, You said it was the, the grace of God to bring me through that into a place of surrender. And I'm like, yes. Looking back, I see it now. Yeah. In the moment, wow, that is so hard to see. <laughs> the grace of God, what is this? It was the grace of God to break me. It was the grace of God to bring me through a season of cancer. It was the yeah. grace of God literally to, to break my yeah. back. Let me to bring just, me to that point. I want to hear the rest of what yeah. you have to say, but this reminds me of, uh, we're doing this Bible overview on the Daily Dose Devotions podcast, which is another podcast we host, which people can hear where they're hearing this. It's just a, a different one it's called the CC Podcast Daily Dose Devotions. And we're in the middle of the book of John. We've got 800 some episodes of Bible overview from back in Genesis one. And I've never done anything like this before. I mean, I, I've been to seminary, but I feel like I'm actually going to seminary finally for real by just being in the Bible. You know what I mean? Amen. Day yeah. after day. And, and, um, this fluffy Jesus, like part-time Christianity mm-hmm. that, that we are surrounded by is just nowhere in the Bible. Yeah. So that's where I was at before the Lord drew me by his spirit to surrender to him in that season. I was in this place of, um, you know, I would go to church on Sunday morning and then my Bible would go right back in the floorboard of my F-150. Solid church? Yeah, like it was. And and like, uh, I'm not at all going to push anything off on my church. It it was really just a, you know what? I think it was indicative of my own heart and just the the own idolatry that I had of myself and, and, and my plans, my ambition, my will, not surrendering to his. But um, I mean, we could go back further and say, well, was there points in my life where I had men who could disciple me in my faith to teach me how to, to live for Jesus, for his glory, that cost of discipleship to take off my to take up my cross daily and mm-hmm. follow Jesus, you know? 
Um, we could go back and point to some of those things, but I just really think that I, I enjoyed living for myself. I enjoyed knowing Jesus, but living for myself. What were your ambitions? What were you shooting for? What was your dream? What was it all about? You know, um, some of them were good. Some of, uh, I mean, some of them could be accredited as good, but I mean, here in the South, we're, we're all about family. You know, we're all about kids. We're, we're about career. We're about uh, community. And so some of the things that, that I, was, I was leaning into and, and really even creating idols out of yeah. um, was family, career, and I, was, I, I also I, like to cut up too. Go ahead. I mean, there were there were there were those. <laughs> I mean, I did shoot bows and arrows, drink beer, you know, that kind yeah. of thing, cutting up. But I think it's amazing, and this is like almost never said that someone would say they were making an idol out of their family. Because you know, there is a version of Christianity that if you're a good dad and you, and you value your family, I mean, isn't that what it's all about? Talk about that. Mm-hmm. Like, how? What, what's wrong with that? What, yeah. what, what were you doing in that regard that was... I think I was, I was pursuing it just on my terms and my plan. Mm. I think I was wanting to craft the idealistic, perfect Southern family mm-hmm. um, to have the Chip and Joanna Gaines house. Yeah. You know, with the shiplap on the... Not that there's anything wrong with that. Like, <laughs> I love Magnolia. They're right. great. They're doing great things. Yeah. But... You know, you can create this idealism of I yeah. have to create this perfect life yeah. with the perfect house, the perfect family, and I need the career to get me there. Yep. And and where is Jesus in that? Well, he plays second fiddle. He's not sitting on the throne in that scenario. You are. Yep. And you're just asking him to bless you in your endeavors. And it's possible for you to have Jesus on the throne and live a life that has some of those trappings, right? Yeah, yeah, I mean, abs- you're probably absolutely. doing that right now to absolutely. a degree. Yeah, yeah, I, and I, I think it's amazing now just to where when you are living in a way that's just fully surrendered to him, fully dependent on him, um, how he can still delight to give you those, those things that Isn't you it desire. Something? But it's just so much more meaningful Yeah, when you're worshiping him through them Yes, instead of seeing him push to the side there's a dude have you ever heard a guy named joe rigney no i haven't joe rigney was this is kind of funny Mm -hmm. he was the chancellor or the president or the something of bethlehem baptist seminary john piper have you heard that name Uh, yeah absolutely so piper's church Mm -hmm. started a seminary we live in northeast iowa we're like three hours from minneapolis so we know about piper and you know well everyone knows about piper yeah but we've been up there and you know john yeah yeah (laughs) uh there was a man from God. There was a man sent from God, and his name was John. I think one of the Gospels introduced John the Baptist mm-hmm. that way. And I was, is that Piper? Anyway. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but uh, Rigney actually just left that position at Bethlehem because he changed his view on baptism from believer's baptism to infant baptism, which is a totally different, non-irrelevant discussion. But anyway... Rigney, we had him come speak at the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, which is a conference that I helped lead in Cedar Falls, 102 years old, a few years ago. He wrote a book called Strangely Bright. Hmm. And the whole purpose of the book was um, basically viewing and enjoying the things of God in a way that glorifies him That's instead right. of glorifies ourselves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so if anyone's feeling this, what, what Stephen's talking about, you ought to maybe check out Strangely Bright by Joe Rigney because it's right down the vein of what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. 
Anyway. Yeah. Uh, so you're kind of doing all these things that on the surface, I mean, it's not like you're cheating on your wife and stripping on the weekends and. No, nope, no, nope, definitely not that. And thugging no. and, but but no. you've got this pretty nice looking life, but you're just not. Jesus isn't on the throne. That's I like right. how I said that. Yeah. You have these events that happen, cancer this fall. You're in your hospital bed. You're finally like, okay, this is it. Now, now, yeah, you know, and after that, I had it all figured out just from day one. I just knew it all right off the bat. Didn't have any questions. Just <laughs> pretty much lived perfect ever since. Um, no, so get us from there to here. Yeah, let me do that. It's funny, you know, because I thought when you surrender yourself fully to Jesus, that he's like going to immediately call you to be a missionary to Africa or something. You know, <laughs> like I think that thought always goes through our head. Like, if I'd say this out loud to Jesus, he's going to call me to do something crazy and radical. And you know what? He might. And maybe that would be awesome if yeah. he did. Yeah. You Amen. Know. But actually, the first thing I had, I had to learn, Matt, was that I had to learn how to um, be a disciple. Yeah. To be a follower of Jesus. Uh, I had to learn how to read my Bible because yeah. it turns out that's important. Like, yeah. it's actually part of it. Like, yeah. if you want to, like, live the christian life if you want to come after him like you have to yeah learn how to read your bible and not in a check the box way but in a absorb yeah. the truth of god yeah that's right so so i i just set out to to study and to absorb so that i could learn how to live out this crazy thing that we call faith in mm -hmm. in god and so i had to learn how to study the bible from cover to cover and then do it again yeah. And again, I had to learn how to cultivate habits of spiritual disciplines in my life. I had to learn how to live out my faith in my relationships as a, as a husband, as a father. I had to learn how to live out my faith in the business world. Like, what does it mean in, in light of, of, of the business and, and our trade? I had to learn how to live out our faith in light of um, stewardship, you know, and in, in investing financial resources. All of these things, it was new territory, but man i was i was just excited to lean in and to see how how would god delight to totally to to lead us in that so what are you doing now and are you doing now what you were doing before professionally but you're just doing it differently or is it totally different it's totally different yeah um so now i'm the chief impact officer for an investment advisory firm uh, i serve an amazing team of financial planners and advisors um, and we're serving Christian clients, helping them to invest well, helping them to invest in uh, faith-driven entrepreneurs that want to change the world for the glory of God, you know, helping Christian families to, to align their investment portfolios to biblical values and to see eternal outcomes through their investments. Um, and no, that was not at all something that I was doing. There's actually a, a great backstory there, if, if, if I can go into Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Yeah. So... As I was learning to, to be a disciple of Jesus, to be a follower, I was also getting really passionate about making disciples of Jesus, multiplying disciples of Jesus. And I just, I, I just wanted to do that all the time. I was like, can I just read the Bible with people? And like, I'll wake up at five o'clock in the morning, go to McDonald's and drink stale coffee to, just <laughs> to read the Bible with more people because this is amazing and it's That's just awesome. transforming my life. And, well, um, in that season, I had the opportunity to come on as an associate discipleship uh, pastor at, at, at a church in Georgia, Baptist Church in Georgia. And so I, I, I got to serve the church, equipping the saints for the work of ministry and, and, and giving leadership to men's 
discipleship, uh, small group multiplication. And um, boy, I, I just loved it. I love seeing people gather in homes, mm-hmm. you know, just that Acts 2 model of, mm-hmm. of breaking bread, gathering in homes, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and prayer. Awesome. And so multiplying house groups um, in Georgia. And it was in the, in the middle of that season of, of serving the church that God broke my heart for the nations. Okay. Yeah, and uh, it was actually through four years of prayer. I would I would meet with four other pastors every week for an hour of prayer because I read it in the New Testament. You know, the yeah. disciples had an hour of prayer, so I want to do what they did. I just want to do what Jesus did. That's it. So we would have an hour of prayer, and we'd spend the first twenty minutes just praising God because you can never do that enough. Mm. Just adoring Him for twenty minutes out loud. We spend the next 20 minutes praying for local church, local discipleship. And then we'd spend the last 20 minutes praying for the nations. Mm. And we'd hop on Joshua Project and start paying for unreached people groups around teams that we had sent out and individuals, you know, as a church. And, you know, we would butcher how you pronounce every single one of their names. Like, we wouldn't get them <laughs> right at all. But God knew who we were talking about. And, mm-hmm. and what's, what's amazing is the more that I prayed— for the nations, the more that I prayed that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord would cover the earth as the waters cover the seas, that he would raise up worshipers from him from every tribe, tongue, and language. The more I prayed, the more God just aligned my heart to his. Um, and to the point to where, you know, not to, not to over-emotionalize it. Yeah. Because, you know, Southern Baptist here. <laughs> and we, don't, we don't get emotional. So not to over-emotionalize it, but literally it was to the point to where this white southern farm boy pastor was just in tears for unreached people groups around the world for mm-hmm. Asian Muslims on the other side of the world that I never met mm-hmm. and I'm just like God how how do they not have anyone going to them and sharing this hope of the gospel with them like yeah like we will all stand in judgment one day before a holy God yeah you and I both will our kids will our yeah. kids kids will and so will every single people on this earth and what's our only hope in light of the coming judgment, is it how little we've sinned? No. Is, is it how much righteousness we've done in our own efforts? No. Like our only hope in light of the coming judgment is the gospel. Yeah. And so my wife and I, uh, we were just discerning how God would lead us to work among the nations uh, for his glory. Mm-hmm. And specifically uh, around Central Asia was, was an area that God continually pressed on our heart and and so we started training and moving towards that. And it was actually in the middle of, in, in the middle of that season of, of training and preparing. Um, I just remember, I'm surrendered. I'm, I'm God's man. Whatever you want. Central Asia, yep. I'm yours. Yep. Send me. Here am I. Um, I was praying. I was fasting. And I remember I shut, shut the door in my office at the church. And, and I just, in an open-handed prayer, I said, God, how would you delight to use my family among the nations? Uh, and it's, it, it shocked me. It's, it's not very Baptist of me, but I actually heard God reply. So it, it was either an audible voice or an inaudible voice or somewhere in that gray space in between. Yep, yep. But I heard God say, use investments for my glory and the good of the unreached. Wild. And when I first heard it, I thought, well, that's crazy, like, who does that? Who uses in investments for God's glory? Normally, mm-hmm. we have this 
sacred secular divide where yes. we where we look just to charitable tax deductible dollars to fund the kingdom of God, the Great Commission. You know, it, it's it's a broken model. It's almost like we wrote into to to the uh, to the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations and only use tax deductible charitable dollars to do it. It's like <laughs> it's, it's it's so broken. That's, I've that's never what heard we that. do. That's so true. That's what we do. Yeah. And so here I here I am sitting there praying and I'm like, I hear God say use investments for my glory. I'm like, wow, most people use investments for pretty selfish reasons. Their glory. You know, their glory. Here he is, God's telling me to use investments for his glory. But then secondly, the second part, he said, use investments for his glory and the good of the unreached. I had never heard of anyone that used investments in such a way that it benefited people in Northern Africa, in the Middle East, in Central Asia, and Southeast Asia. Like who... Who invests in their retirement account, in their 401k, in their IRA? You know, who invests in their after after tax investment portfolio in such a way that it benefits unreached people groups around the world? Wow. Yeah. So catch me up on a detail that I must have missed along the way somehow. You're a pastor. Yes, sir. And were you a pastor nine years ago? No, sir. Okay. So that's something that happened. And it sounds like through like house churches and then into a regular church you said you got an office yes sir it was uh at a, at a you're large freaking me out calling me sir but that i know that's the southern thing so that's yeah cool. <laughs> i'm sorry matt i'll just go with matt uh it, it was i was able to come on and serve at the discipleship team of a, of a large church in georgia cool yeah. okay great okay so investments for the unreached keep going yes um so when i heard this from god use investments for my glory and the good in reach you know, that is, um, boy, that's not traditional missions. That's, that's not traditional pr- church planning. Yeah. It, and again, it wasn't like, it wasn't something that I was accustomed to, but again, I, I'm just fully surrendered to the Lord. Have your way. So I was like, yes, sir, let's get to work. So one thing I want to interject here yeah. is I think a lot of people think that lordship or surrendering to God means they're going to have to do some crazy thing, like go to Africa, like you said. Right. Right. Or, and, and like, wait a minute, you mean God might call me to do something that's actually, I mean, I might be a, a certified financial planner. That's and, right. And God might call me to do something that's actually what I already do, but do it for his purposes. It's not necessarily going to just completely upset my life. It mm-hmm. might upset my orientation. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think so. And in this, in this place of surrender, I think we need to be reminded too. Like I referenced Ephesians 2.10 earlier. Sometimes it's easy for us to imagine walking in the good works that God has prepared for us if we are moving cross-culturally, if we are serving in a, in a, a, a professional pastoral role of some sense. But like, no, the kingdom of God is holistic in so many ways. We need to continually work towards the breakdown of the sacred-secular divide. And thinking through, well, if you're in finance, then you can worship God with the work of your hands. You can walk in the good works that he's prepared for you and serve him in his kingdom there. If you're uh, My dad in, was a plumber. Yeah, if you're if you're a plumber, farmer, a technician, a farmer. Yep. Uh, if you're in education, healthcare, you name it. Like like that is if that's the field where where God has delighted to to bring you, if that's the way he's skilled you yeah. and positioned you and educated you then you can worship God with the work of your hands, do it as unto the Lord, and walk in the good works that he has prepared for you there. 
in that field. So uh, three years ago, I heard it. Use investments for my glory and the good end reach. And so I started Google searching. I started asking around like, okay, how do I do this? How do I do this? And that's actually what led me to the introduction uh, with, with Don Simmons, the author of The Steward Investor. So I, I called Don. I was like, Don, you don't know me. I'm from Georgia. I wear boots. My family grows peaches. I want to see the gospel go to the ends of the earth. And God told me to use investments. Do you know anything about this? You know, just a cold <laughs> call, Matt. Just call it. It was like, do you did know you, it? Did you know him somehow? Uh, I was introduced to him through uh, Pioneer's. Uh, mission agency. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so Pioneers introduced me to, to Don. And and so I just cold called with Don. I was like, Don, do you know anything about this? And Don, I'll never forget it. He's like, well, Stephen, you know, he's he's been in the financial industry for over 30 years. He's, he's grown <laughs> almost a, a quarter of a billion dollars in assets under management with one of his RIAs. He, he spent the last 20 years traveling the world, investing in missional businesses that support the proclamation of the gospel, the work of discipleship and church planting and multiplication among unreached people groups. He spent 20 years doing this. Wow. And he said on the call, he said, Stephen, I've been doing this for 20 years all across the world. God told me to write a book on how to do this. I just finished the rough draft of chapter one this morning. Can I send you the rough draft of chapter one of my new book? Wow. You know, I was like, yeah, that would be great. So... I want to interrupt you with the question. This is how my mind works, and I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah. Sure. And our audience, whatever. This is a way out, out of kind of left field, almost has nothing to do with that question. Sure. When you say $250 million at, in assets under management, right? what does that mean in real terms, in terms of what kind of income can a guy make off that? Is that- Sure, I'm, sure, sure. Yeah, so- um, for those who aren't, aren't familiar, uh, financial planners, financial advisors, they serve clients yep. either through their retirement accounts, uh, their IRAs, uh, their 401ks, or their after-tax portfolios by helping them to invest. Typically, when you go to a financial advisor, even, even Christian financial advisors, um, they will put you into a kind of a cookie-cutter mold of stocks and bonds based on how aggressive you want to be. Uh, and so, you know, Don, what, what I love about what he's detailed through um, the steward investor is that so much of our investment philosophies and our practices with just what is, has always happened, um, it's not biblical. And in fact, we, we have just blindly followed the, the course and the, the pattern of this world. Like most Christians, their, their retirement accounts, their investment accounts, they look no different than an unbeliever's, like at all. Like there's no difference in a Christian's retirement account Interesting. and an unbeliever's retirement account. Why is that? Why? Like if we really believe that God is the true owner of all things, and, and I know that that gets thrown around sometimes, but if we really believe that God owns it all, and that we are a, a, a steward, a, a fiduciary, a manager of the, the resources that he entrusts to us. And one day we'll be held accountable, right, for, for the management. It turns out Jesus talks often yeah. about how you can steward resources well and the faithful managers. Yeah. You know, if we really believe that, then, then does it matter the companies that we invest in through, through our retirement account, through our investment portfolio? 
I think it does. And and Don also details that it that that it does through his book and in a, and in some ways even this call to surrender it it also involves our financial resources. It's coming to to the end of yourself and saying actually what what has been entrusted to me whatever is there everything. Like how I, I want to use it all for the glory of God. And if if it's truly his then shouldn't we Shouldn't we invest that capital and generously give that capital both the, the charitable, tax-deductible donations, the gifts, the grants, uh, you know, tithing to our church? I, I jokingly tell people that we, we tithe to our church, we, we tip our missionaries, but then we keep like all the rest of it for ourselves, you know. <laughs> like, shouldn't we use it all for the glory of God? Yeah. Shouldn't we align it to his values, like yeah. biblical values? Yeah. Shouldn't we use it in such a way that it, that it achieves his desired outcomes, like the great commission, the great commandment? Shouldn't we prioritize his outcomes through that? This is another reason I want to interview you, because this is something that's just been on my mind for a long time. I think that Christians, primarily because of the first thing we talked about, which is that they don't have a lordship perspective. Mm-hmm. So many Christians in the ones that I am familiar with. I mean, just American Christians or people around me. I'm not dogging on them and I'm not saying I'm like the, you know, standard of whatever. Um, but because there's not a lordship thing going on, I, I heard a guy one time say, a Christian guy, um, friend of mine, said, you know, the way I view it is that 10% of my income is the Lord's and the rest of it's mine. Mm-hmm. And it's and, and mm-hmm. that's just I mean what I give kudos to him for is just saying what everyone else yeah. thinks. Yeah. Um, yeah. I heard I heard uh, on a podcast recently people describe it as a, as a membership fee, like you know you have yeah. your membership fee to the country club or this club or that club. It's like yeah, so your membership ship fee to the church is your tithe. And, and the thing that I've because I want I want to go into this. We'll get back to kingdom investment type stuff. Sure. But. Um, so Jesus comes on the scene and he says, you've heard it said that if you kill your brother or whatever, it's murder. But mm-hmm. I tell you, if you have hate in your heart, you're already guilty. So he like infinitely steps up the standard. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Like it, yeah. murder isn't just killing a guy. Murder mm-hmm. is hating a guy, which we're all guilty of. Right. Um, you've heard it said you shouldn't commit adultery. I tell you that if you lust after a woman in your heart, you're already guilty. Mm-hmm. So again, he takes what was a manageable standard for a lot of guys. Like a lot of guys aren't going to sleep around on their wife, commit adultery. Right. And he makes it an impossible standard. Mm. Right. And so I think that in the spirit of Jesus obliterating, not obliterating the law. No, I, I don't want to say that. Um, exponentially infinitely raising the bar Mm -hmm. if you were to apply that to money and there's nothing in in the bible that says this but you could take the same principle that he's doing with murder and adultery and you could say you've heard it said give 10 percent of your money your first fruits to the temple or whatever i'm telling you you need to give every dime to the lord yeah, I mean, if, if we look at the, the teaching of Christ through the New Testament, he repeatedly tells people that you cannot serve God and money. No one can serve two masters, love the one, hate the other. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can look at different parables in the, in, in the teachings that he has of, of faithful managers. You can, you can look at, um, yeah, examples of early followers of Christ and how they live their lives and what, 
what their financial stewardship looked like. And you can tell a notable difference um, in what their view of financial stewardship looked like at that time yep. compared to where we are today. And so here's my question. And, and I've got some thoughts about this, but I want to hear yours. Um, it's not all mine. Everything is the Lord's. And I'm accountable to him for every dime. And every dime, I believe this, every dime that I have should serve his kingdom. If I'm under his lordship, yeah, that's the way it should be. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't do that perfectly, um, but I try to. And so my question is, what are your thoughts about, so how does a vacation to Cancun with my family how does that possibly not violate what I've just said? How does the fact that I drive, it's only a 2014, but I drive a Suburban. How does that not violate? How, how does the fact that I have season tickets to Iowa Hawkeye football yeah. not violate that? How does the fact that we have a nice refrigerator that holds more food than the one we used to have not violate that? And I think I have answers to those questions myself, but I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah, yeah, those are great questions, uh, I, I think. You can create idols out of so many different things, consumerism being one of them. Um, but I, actually, I'm, I'm going to go back to John Piper since you m- mentioned him oh. earlier. And just, <laughs> He's just, a little bit of a, uh, what, what is it? Um, Piper's a little more austere than I am, but okay. <laughs> go ahead. Go you ahead. know, just um, I, I forget in it which sermon it was, but oh, man, he just said it so well. Like, does it help me run well? Yeah. Like, does it, does it help me run? And, and so in some cases where we as followers of Jesus are called to rest and, and mm-hmm. Sabbath well mm-hmm. as a family, if, if that looks like a, a vacation where you're worshiping God with your family as you rest, amen. Mm-hmm. Do that well. Do that as unto the Lord. Mm-hmm. And if it helps you to run well, do that. Mm-hmm. But I think what you're hitting on, Matt, is 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 the case where it's not. Actually, I mean, I'm not necessarily because the the one thing I don't want to do with those questions I ask yeah. is create a legalism. Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah and I think the tendency right. is to create a legalism. Yeah. And to say, nope, you can't you can't drive a suburban. You can drive a uh, 2005 Tahoe and earlier. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or you can go on vacation as long as it's to the Rocky Mountains and not to Cancun. You know what I mean? And that, that's ridiculous. Right. Yeah. And the thing is, is your Rocky Mountain vacation and your Tahoe, you still have to face the same question. Because compared to the dude in India living in a cardboard box, you're stupid rich. Right. With a Tahoe right. and with a vacation to, yeah. to, to the Rockies. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I think, I, I think, I, I forget what year this study came out, but if, if you made over $60,000, you were in the top 10% of, of incomes in the entire world. Yeah. You know, and just thinking through that, like so many people would say, oh, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm not rich. That's not me. It's like, well, if yeah, you are. You, you and are. It, think about in the, in the history of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, what did Solomon not have? Running water, air conditioning, you know, everything we have. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. he's the richest man ever at that time. That's right. So, so, I mean, even the accumulation of wealth and wisdom from God in that case didn't save Solomon from... Uh, just his own demise. And so in that, I'm, I'm just constantly reminded, like, wisdom, wealth, um, it's nothing unless you're just fully surrendered, mm-hmm. unless you're just faithful, like, even in the little things, which mm-hmm. is why Jesus reminds us, like, be faithful in the little things. I think one of the things, to get back to my questions, that we better be doing 
is we better be running everything we do with our money increasingly through the filter of how does this serve the Lord That's and right. his kingdom? That's right. And I can answer yeah. that question affirmatively for a lot of those things I listed. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes I can't, and then I got to look at what I'm doing. But I think the fact, the first step is just even realizing you got to, it's every dime. Mm-hmm. You're accountable for every dime. Yeah, so, so I would say there's some things that we just need to, um, to avoid entirely in that, you know. There, there are some situations where you would say, well, can I honor God as I do this? And Give if me it's an example like, so we don't like have if people it's just inventing false blatant, you know. Go to a, a strip club. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, if it's just completely against his command, if it's leading yourself into sin or other people's sin, Just get completely it. wasted. But this, what, is yeah. what, this is what just, just shocks me and, and really gets me going is, is the number of, of followers of Jesus, Christians, they just, they love God. They read their Bible. They go to church. They're, they're a part of living out this thing we call faith, and they're, they're in the kingdom of God. But I'm talking with them, and, and sadly, they don't have a clue is how many companies that are sitting in their retirement accounts and their investment portfolios that are just actively working against the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. where they're investing in companies that are literally promoting a kingdom of darkness agenda. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and they're participating in it. They're profiting off of it. I know this was my own case. Like as, as God told me, use investments for his glory and the good of the unreached. And I began to evaluate just my own portfolio. You know, I was invested in companies that were producing pornography, mm-hmm. alcohol, substance abuse, lottery, tobacco, gambling. I was invested in companies that were, were, were funding abortion clinics. Mm-hmm. Um, there, there were some specific people that I was really working to to see reached with the gospel and the kingdom of God in Central Asia. And I discovered holdings in my portfolio of companies that profited off of their human trafficking and their slavery. So here I am trying to, to, to volunteer and to serve and to go. I'm trying to give generously with my donations to support the kingdom in this way. But then in the investment portfolio, we're just doing the exact opposite. Like how broken is that? Like how broken? Is that and sadly, Matt, I really think that's the case for so many Christians today. We don't realize the brokenness that's in this. So, world. how do people get their hands or their heads around that? And let me play devil's advocate for a second before you answer that question. Sure. Um, I mean, to some degree, you know, like sometimes I vacillate when some company does something that I disagree with, and then somebody calls for a boycott. Let's just use. Uh, you don't want to name anything. Yeah, I get that. Sure. I, I'm going to name Nike. I got a ton of Nike stuff. And when it's on sale, I go buy some. I mean, especially if it has a, a, a Tiger Hawk logo on it, logo on it or whatever. Um, now, I've got friends who, like, swore off Nike because of X, Y, and Z, whether it's sweatshops way back in the day or whether it's some, I was going to name somebody, but whether it's some uh, <laughs> social agenda that right, they're promoting. Right, yeah, um, yeah. Um, and I kind of like, okay, what am I going to do? I'm going to go buy Reeboks or I'm going to go buy some other shoe or apparel line that is when you really start peeling the onion back they're doing the same bull crap in their corporate organization so how do you how do you filter that yeah yeah so um and let me just say this before you respond and if i'm able to make a good profit on my investment off company x 
than is doing some ungodly things when the fact is 99.9% of Wall Street is doing ungodly things. Right. Um, as long as my orientation with how, what I do with those profits is kingdom building, what's my motive? And, 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 and mm -hmm. if I do want to do what you're talking about, how do I figure all that out? Yeah, great, great question. So, I mean, definitely can't go into the detail on any specific companies. Um, you said can't, right? Yes, sir, cannot. Um, yeah. So, I would just say the entire portfolio needs to be evaluated, and there's never been a better time for Christians to do that. Like we have, we have the technology, we have the the screening software. Uh, we have the resources available to where Christians can see inside their investment portfolio in, in, the, in the various funds, uh, the exact companies, the holdings that are listed there. They can see what the products or the services are offered by those companies. You can even see uh, how, they treat, uh, how, how they treat their employees. They, you can see where they give generously, like how the companies are using their philanthropic dollars. And so that that tech that technology is available. That information is available to us. And so, as much as, like you're right, there is some some skepticism or some some hesitation. I'm like, okay, how do we do this? Can we do this? What does it look like? I would say the timing has never been better for Christians to do this and to do it well. And and and, and it's two parts. One, it, it's it's realizing that there are some companies that we just we should never have invested in, and, and we we do need to remove ourselves. There. There's some obvious ones. That's there what are. you're saying. There are, um, but but you know, for so long Christians have been known about what we're against, right? right. You yeah. know, it's just we yeah. Just ask a Christian what he's against, and he'll just make a list, right? <laughs> okay, um, but but I want us to move past that. And to consider, instead of just divesting from sin stocks or companies that are doing wicked things in the earth, do we need to do that? Yeah, we do. But the next step from that is say, well, what are we for? Like, what is the kingdom of God about? What does Jesus love? What does he care about? How can we invest in companies that do those things? And so it's, it's a putting off of sin, but it's also a, a pursuit of, of righteousness. And even going past that, investing in light of eternity, I'm thinking of um, John 16, 8. John 16, 8. So Jesus is talking with the disciples. He, he's telling them, look, it's a good thing that I go away because when I do, the helper, the Holy Spirit will come. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit convicts us of, of sin we need to put off, righteousness we need to pursue, and the reality of this coming judgment and just the urgency with which we need to live. And so I've, I've felt that. you felt that as a Christian. Yeah. We've all felt that. This, just this, this sin we need to put off and just this pursuit of righteousness that we need to surrender to and this reality of, of we're living in light of eternity, in light of a coming judgment. And, and how we live matters. What we do matters. How we use this life matters. When we think about that in our investments as well, in our stewardship, like there, there are several cases where, where many Christians, uh, we need to put off sin. We need, we need to quit investing in the bad guys. It's dumb, Matt. We just need to stop. Stop investing in the bad guys. And then two, let's start investing in the good guys. Let's invest in publicly traded companies that are run by Christians and, and living out kingdom of God values. Let's invest in companies that produce righteousness for the glory of God and, and where we see cities rejoicing 
right? Mm. And, then, and then the third step, what if we invested in light of the coming judgment? Like, what if we invested in missional companies around the world that were making much of Jesus in word, in deed, in excellence? Companies that were, that were serving communities around the world in such a way that they were allowing the gospel to be seen with their actions, but they were also allowing the gospel to be heard through their proclamation. So that's been part of my own journey, and what's amazing is how we're seeing so many other Christians uh, be led by God to take steps on that same journey, where they're, they're tired of investing in companies that just compromise the Bible and just go completely against it. And they're like, I don't want to invest in those companies anymore. But then the next step from that is, how do I invest in companies that produce righteousness and see financial ROI, financial return on investment, and kingdom impact at the same time. And then, and, then, and then as well, like what would it look like for us to actually invest in companies that see great commission outcomes? Mm-hmm. To where for, for years, you know, we've only used that tax-deductible charitable dollar to fund the great commission. Well, what if we could fund great commission outcomes through the retirement accounts mm-hmm. of the congregation of our church? Mm-hmm. You know, just think about that for a minute. What if we're now funding the Great Commission through our tithe and through our generous giving? Yes. But what if we could also fund the Great Commission through our investment portfolios? Mm-hmm. We talked about when we were talking earlier today about accumulating wealth for the sake of ourselves, not running out of money before we die. Right. Yeah. Those kind of values that are deeply held in, in our... And some of that to me seems like prudence... And some of it, as you were pointing out in our conversation, is uh, leading to idolatry of some kind. Yeah, yeah, it, it can. I, I think the philosophies that we've used, the practices that we've used, is mainly been to minimize risk, maximize financial return, and basically retire with as much as we possibly can mm-hmm. and spend it on ourselves. But we're going to give generously. You know, while we do that. You re- so it's like we, we throw Jesus to the side of what we're trying to do for ourselves. And we're like, well, I'm going to minimize risk. I'm going to maximize as much money as I can make. I'm going to get as much as I can for my retirement. And then I'm going to make sure that I give. Yeah. And so what we're putting forward through the steward investor is just saying, no, no, there's, there's a better way. I'm looking something up on my phone that yeah. I want to bring into this conversation. Yeah. So yeah. Keep, yeah. No, keep going. please do. There, there's a way where we say, no, no, God owns everything everything we steward everything therefore let's steward everything for the glory of god that includes our pre-tax retirement accounts our after-tax portfolios also our 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 charitable dollars and so like my passion that i've got to experience now as a steward investor is doing just that it's investing uh for the glory of god and for the good of the unreached so just bringing this back full full circle to where we were, you know, three years ago when God said, use investments for my glory and the good of the unreached. Man, we're doing it. And, and it's like, just, it, it's nothing that we're doing, but it's everything that he's doing. And it's amazing to be, to be invited by God into this, this work that he's doing. So through, through our community, through the steward investor community, our, our, our clients, um, we, last year, for example, we invested in over 20 businesses in 14 different countries around the world. Wow. And we're seeing financial return and we're seeing the kingdom of God advance at the same time. It's amazing. That's cool. Yeah. When's the last time you've heard of someone's investment portfolio doing that? That's amazing. So some of this stuff is written about or the, the underlying principles in this book? 
steward investor? Yes. Yeah. By yeah. your guy. Uh, Don Simmons detailed it out for us. Uh, the steward investor, the steward investor.com. And so your church is doing this. Yes, sir. We're, we're inviting whole communities yeah. uh, to join us in this. Like, like this is not um, a Lone Ranger thing. This is not for one family or another. This is not for families who just have, you know, a, a, a ton accumulated accredited investors, ultra high net worth families. Like we, we see the importance of the entire church to begin to, to realize that we can steward resources in this way. Uh, so, so really we're, 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 we're wanting nothing short than a revival of, of the church in this area of stewardship to where whole congregations, whole communities of followers of Jesus are just surrendering and saying, Jesus, you're the Lord of all. You own everything. How can we use all of our financial resources in a way that aligns to your values, your kingdom, and brings you glory? I was recently, just last week, had a guy in my office. This ministry, Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry, is small. Um, got about a $400,000 budget. Uh, we're on radio. That's what we've been doing since 1936. More recently, we've been doing some podcasting. And there's a fund, kind of like an endowment fund, a perpetual fund yeah. that people have left estate gifts into. Mm-hmm. And then um, the idea was to build that up and, and have the profits from that fund cover operational expenses. We're nowhere near that. And I had a guy in my office who's been around this ministry a long time, and he's pretty intimately involved with it. And he said, you know, and this was, this was revolutionary to me. And I'm going to bring it to the individual after I explain it to you, and then I'm going to have you comment on it. Sure. Um, but he said, these nonprofit organizations that have huge endowments, he said, I got, I got kind of a problem with that. And I'm thinking, my thought was, well, we want to build up our endowment to be as big as possible so that our profits are as big as possible so we can cover our operating expenses as easily as possible and not have to go to donors all the time. Make sense? Right. Yeah. He said, the reason I have a problem with it is I, I want your money or I want the money that I leave you to go toward actually doing the mission mm. in a direct way. And mm-hmm. in a, I don't, I don't want to, you know, like what if the Lord returns and we got a $5 million endowment? That's right. Yeah. Like what did we do there? Right. That's, that's a revolutionary yeah. way of thinking. Now to bring it to the individual, sure. um, I want to build up a bunch of wealth and I want to pass it on to my kids or I want to whatever, whatever. Uh, and I, I heard a guy at our Cedar Falls Bible Conference several years ago. He was just, at that time, we had an older audience predominantly. Uh, and he just said, guys, stop doing that. Mm-hmm. Because your, your kids don't believe the stuff you believe. Mm-hmm. They're not going to invest your wealth in the kingdom in the way that you would invest your wealth in the kingdom because... In many cases, kids have walked away or they don't share the same values mm-hmm. or they're, mm-hmm. they're 40 and still kind of about themselves instead of 80 and more about the kingdom. That's they, right. They may have had a crisis in their life that got yeah. them to the point of lordship like you've talked about. Um, so this is revolutionary stuff. Right. Um, yeah. What would you say into any of that? Yeah. So, you know, there's a few things I could unpack there. First off, like, like thinking through how do we leave an inheritance for our children? It's like, what if we left an inheritance for our children that was uh, just a passion for the Lord and for His kingdom? What if we left an inheritance for our, ch- our, kid, our children where um, we're 
discipling them to know and love Jesus and to just zealously run after him all their life? What if we left a, a, an inheritance for our children where we're teaching them to remain dependent on Jesus every day, praying, give us this day our daily bread, and truly meaning it, you know, and, and, and surrendering to him in that. And so I'm, I'm all for family discipleship and, and, and leaving an inheritance for our children. It's just thinking through maybe that doesn't look like financial. a hoard of accumulated financial wealth the yeah. way our American culture has, has, has deceived us into thinking it needs to be. You know, Jesus, he talks about a, a farmer, right? I love all the agricultural metaphors in, in his teaching. I just love that. So he talks about this farmer who did really well uh, with his crops. And he said to himself, you know, I have so much crops that I have to build a bigger barn. Well, you know, and a, a bumper crop, like ample, that's a good thing. It is a good thing. But when you begin to think through it in a, in a capital retention model, where it's like I have to hoard up for myself and just retain everything for myself, that, that's where it just becomes idolatry, right? Mm. It's true, through and through. So, so he said to himself, self, you know, let's build a bigger barn and store it full of all your stuff. And then, and then he said, eat, drink, relax, be merry. And Jesus is like, you fool. You know, tonight your soul is required of you and what will happen to, to this, this abundance that you've accumulated. And so it's like just thinking against this um, wealth retention model and, and instead thinking how can we truly steward everything for the glory of God. You know, uh, looking to him as the true owner. Um, I'm trying to think of a good example here. Um, Batman, right? Okay, so everybody knows Bruce Wayne. Batman. All right. And who was who was Batman's uh, amazing butler? Do you remember him? I can't remember his name, and I love the actor. Alfred. Alfred Penn Pennyworth, can right? You, can you name his actor? I'm trying to remember, too. Is that British dude? I don't know. Somebody. Go ahead. Yeah. I know who you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, that guy. He, he's great, right? Alfred he's Pennyworth. He's great. Yeah. Okay. So Alfred, right, was, was the manager of- Michael Caine. Yes. <laughs> go ahead. Go he, ahead. He is the, the manager of, of, of the Wayne family estate. He wasn't the true owner. Right. Right? He wasn't. He was the manager. He was the fiduciary. And Love he, it. he looked to the, to the affairs of the estate, and he wanted to, to see the resources of the estate used in such a way that it aligned to the true owner's uh, values and desired outcomes. Like, like, we need to start thinking more in that model, that mindset of, okay, I'm not Batman. I'm Alfred. Mm -hmm. And, like, how can I use the resources that have been entrusted to me by God in such a way that, that it brings about his glory, the advancement of his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven? Mm -hmm. That's good stuff. Um, churches that are thinking or communities that are thinking about taking this on, I mean, what would you, besides what you've said, what are any of the pitfalls that you've uh, discovered on the way that, that you could encourage them to look out for or... I mean, what's the next step? If yeah. somebody's resonating with what you're saying, saying, you know what, I wonder if I can get some guys in my church to buy into this, because I'm kind of bought into it. Yeah, yeah. I, I would encourage you to, to be very prayerful in how God would lead you to, to take the next steps towards this um, steward investor model. Um, I think that this is a movement of God that, that's happening right now, it's, and, it, and it's much bigger than, than just one state, one church, uh, even bigger than the U.S. is actually happening internationally. Um, so I, I, would, I would invite you just to prayerfully consider how you could look to steward everything for the glory of God. The tithe, the donation, yes, but, but also realizing that 
like there's there's around 100x that sitting in the investment portfolios of of the church congregation um, and so how we steward those resources matters for the longest time it's been ignored and and i think the timing is perfect like god's timing in this is perfect he's calling christians to steward wealth better to steward wealth differently and and to do it in a way that brings him glory um, I, I would also say it's a journey, so don't feel like you're going to have to figure this out overnight. And also don't feel like this is a, a, like a, how do I say, it's like a politicized ESG movement that just adds Jesus to it. Like that's the last thing that we're saying here. So if you're trying to hear me say that we're, we're doing ESG plus Jesus, that's not it. Yeah. You know, it's just Jesus. When you say ESG. Yeah. What do you mean? Environmental, social, governance, like thinking yeah. through how we're we're enforcing certain humanitarianism plus yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's not it. So it, instead of saying Jesus is, he's the King, he's the true owner. Let's surrender everything to him and let's be about his desired outcomes, his desired outcomes, the great commission, the great commandment, mm. you know, uh, stewarding well, the, 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 the creation mandate. Uh, and so looking at, and all of the resources he's entrusted to us, uh, the faithful Christian, the steward investor will say, all right, I want to do that. Mm-hmm. I want to do it for the glory of God. Mm-hmm. You used the phrase wealth retention model. What's the opposite of that that you're talking about? What, just to get my terminology right. Sure. Uh, so if we're going at a complete opposite of a wealth retention model, that would be a, a wealth depletion model where basically you're, you're looking and you're saying, um, I want to die broke. I want to die with nothing left in the storehouse, just having spent it all for the glory of the God and the, the advancement of his kingdom for the sake of the gospel, um, which is just so radical. And it, it is a challenge. That's to hear probably that more unpopular that. than even just oh, yeah. saved alone by saved by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone or one yeah. man, one woman. I mean, that's very, very unpopular. Yes. Um, you know, it's, it's like, um, you know, Christians with, with their finances, with their resources, it's like uh, a dog with a bone in its mouth, you know, it just don't want to be released. It wants to hold on to it, you know, this retention model. But, but think about this for me just for a second. As we look at the early followers of Christ, as we looked at his disciples, how much risk did they embrace? All of it. How much did they hold back? Yeah, none of it. Yeah. How many of them practice a capital retention model hmm. or a wealth retention model? Not or, with their wealth or their lives. Yeah. So, so in this um, call to, to followers of Jesus to, to live radically, to live surrendered, like I, I think that we need to get back to more of that mm-hmm. and, and less of this cultural mindset that we have to... Um, be in control of our finances to where it's all about us and the mm. accumulation of resources, the building of bigger barns. And mm. we need to come back to this point of surrender to where we're ready to risk it for the glory of God. And we're even ready to, to give everything mm-hmm. for the sake of his name. Before we shut this conversation down, I'm going to ask a question that's a totally different subject that I said I was going to ask earlier. But before that, uh, to wrap this up, and I know that you feel comfortable praying and praying in front of people, w- would you just pray right now uh, to kind of shut down that part of the conversation 
and for anyone who's listening and what they might be thinking or what, what you feel like you need to pray for regarding the church or any of yeah. that, go ahead. Yeah, I'll be glad to. Heavenly Father, we, we do. We, we come before you and we say, hallowed be your name. Jesus, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, Matt and I and the brothers and sisters listening uh, right now, Jesus, we just want to surrender to you and we want to say, have your way. Lord, we recognize that a heart of a man plans his ways, but you direct our steps. So God, would you please direct us in considering uh, how we need to live and act and think differently about our lives, how we need to surrender to your lordship, how we need to boldly and passionately walk in the good works that you have prepared for us, how we need to worship you with the work of our hands and whatever trade that may be. Lord, would you forgive us where we have just made this life all about ourselves? Would you forgive us where we've made this life all about our comfort and our wealth and the accumulation of that wealth and the building of, a, of, of bigger barns? Would you forgive us, Lord, where we've been that... Um, that church in Laodicea, that, that uh, out of the abundance of its resources, it becomes dependent on itself and it becomes lukewarm. Mm-hmm. God, forgive us. We ask you, Lord, to, to help us to, to steward well our lives for the sake of your name. And we, we, ask, us, we ask you to, to give us wisdom. You tell us in the book of James that if we lack wisdom, we should ask and you give generously. So, God, would you please give us wisdom, and alongside wisdom, would you also give us just surrendered hearts that are willing to be faithful to you in every way, even in the little things. And we pray this together in Christ's name. Amen. That's good. Thinking about the bigger barns thing, I know a farmer in Iowa who's a huge farmer, and he just recently put up a bunch of new huge grain bins, Um, and he is a kingdom guy. And so when we're talking about bigger barns, we're not talking about just don't ever build bigger barns. Sometimes there's a need for bigger barns. There sure is. Yeah, barns are a good thing. Yeah, yeah. you're talking about bigger barns for myself. That's which right. Which is what that guy was doing. Yeah. Eat, drink, be merry. That's Enjoy right. Enjoy what it's, I've done. It's the motivation of the heart, yeah. and it's how are you using it. Yeah. You know, are, are you using it in such a way that, that it it brings God glory and it advances his kingdom? Are you using it as a, as a worship to the Lord, or are you using it for yourself? Mm-hmm. Here's my turn, the question. Peaches. Talk to me about peach farming. Sure, yeah. So um, why is Georgia a peach state? I mean, I understand it probably has something to do with climate and, and topography and geography, but it's not like, you know, where the boundary lines of Georgia are. You can't grow peaches outside right. of that. But no right. one, I don't know if peaches from anywhere else. Yeah, probably- it's just great conditions, you know. Um, peaches has is, is, is been in my family for a long time. Uh, I, I can't take any credit for it. My, my grandfather started farming um, years ago. My uncle and cousins continue it to this day. And So these you are know, the best, acres of peach trees. Yeah, that's right. But uh, probably the, the, the best thing that I, that I took away from the farm was my wife. <laughs> when, uh, when, I, when I met her there, I, I came in from the field one day picking peaches with my grandpa and she was a cashier in one of our markets. Uh, and I said, Pop, who is that beautiful cashier down there? He said I was like a mule-eating briars, that I couldn't stop smiling. <laughs> a mule-eating briars. That's yeah. a southern statement. I like that. That's it. <laughs> so uh, 
like how many acres would a peach farmer have? That what, what would be like a average size peach farm? You, you know, when you're farming corn and beans, mm. um, I know of specifically one farm where uh, there's 600 acres, which is modest. You know, when you get into the huge operations, you're talking about thousands of acres. Right. Um, the person I know with 600 acres can earn a living. It's cash rent in the land at this point. Um, I don't know if you could earn a living farming it or not. You must. I don't know. I don't know. But how much do you need to actually make sure, money in, sure. the, in the peach world? Yeah, so um, the the Eccles family, uh, my family has has been very faithful in in farming in North Georgia for a long time. Uh, Jay Moore Farms, jmoorefarms.com, they they have some of the best peaches. How do you spell Moore? Uh, Jay Moore, J A E M O R dot okay. com. Jay, okay. Jay Moore Farms. Um, you know, they, they really do do a great job of growing some quality fruit and vegetables and serving the community. Uh, so love love being a part of that, that family and seeing that as, as a small part of our And story. so when you said you were out picking peaches and you saw your wife-to-be at some market or something and asked your grandpa, what does picking peaches look like? Are you, like, on some machine that harvests them, or are you, like, going and picking them by hand or what? No, yeah, yeah. No, there's no machines. It's, it's all by hand. Yeah, hard work, sweat. You know, think Georgia humidity and uh, really itchy peach fuzz all over you. That gives you a good picture of, of what it's about. But And what are the, is it in the fall, like you harvest everything? Spring, uh, a lot of spring and summer, Main, mainly spring and summer for the peaches. Yeah. Because, okay, interesting. I'm going to school here. I, I, uh, I mean, obviously familiar with Iowa's agriculture. We love the Iowa State Fair, sure. you know, and it's all, but it's no peaches, oranges, vegetables, really, right. just corn and beans and hogs and cattle. And so uh, sometime I've come check, check this out. Yeah. Can I, can I get yeah, a tour? Should. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, let me know. Uh, that'd be fun. Hey, uh, Stephen, thank you so much for giving us your time. We're at an hour and 15 minutes. Did it feel, wow. Did it feel like that? No, not at all. This is your first podcast. Right? Yeah, yeah, it is. I uh, thought it was great. You I feel good know. about it? Yeah, glory to God. It's all, right. all him. It's not me. All right. Thanks for being here. Yeah, absolutely. The CC Podcast Conversations is part of Christian Crusaders Radio and Internet Ministry, started in 1936 and is one of America's longest-running radio ministries. We are 100% donor-funded, and donations to our ministry are tax-deductible. So if you are encouraged, challenged, or inspired by today's conversation, please consider making a donation on our website, christiancrusaders.org, or mail a check to Christian Crusaders, 7401 University Avenue, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 50613. In addition to our other podcasts, which I mentioned at the front of this episode, I want to mention two of our other ministry partners worth checking out. First, the Cedar Falls Bible Conference, equipping believers with the truth of God's Word since 1922. Visit cedarfallsbibleconference.com for free access to previous conference content or for more information about upcoming events. Second is Power to Change Digital Strategies, an online ministry partnering volunteer Christian mentors with people around the world searching the internet for answers. If you or someone you know could benefit from an anonymous online conversation with a caring Christian adult, go to issuesiface.com. Or if you would like to be a volunteer Christian mentor, please visit 
p2cdigital.com. That's the letter P, the number two, and the letter C, digital.com. See our episode notes for details and links, and remember to subscribe, leave a five-star rating, and write a review. God's richest blessings to you, and thanks again for listening.